One of the things that I noticed in your in your background um, that that uh, I think is important is you worked in the field of cardiac, you know, heart. Um, right. What did you actually do in that in that area? Well, we were doing cardiac rehab at that time, which was basically um, my field is physical medicine and rehabilitation, where we're always trying to get a patient better, either from a traumatic brain injury, spinal cord injury, or some kind of a deconditioning. Uh, and so we were working with patients to try to improve their cardiac function uh, through exercise primarily. Uh, we wanted to take it a step further, you know, and, and try to use oxygen therapy along with the exercise therapy. Uh, there's a there's a procedure that uh, a colleague of mine was doing back in Tennessee where he was uh, decreasing the oxygen level, for example, uh, having someone exercise at a level where they were at a high atmosphere, for example. So if you're up in the mountains, right, you have decreased oxygen levels. Mm -hmm. So he would uh, decrease their oxygen levels and have them exercise for a few days to try to boost their red cell, red cell production uh, and try to increase it and see if that would work. Uh, and he was having some success, but we, we did maybe two patients or three patients. Uh, and then the next step was to then get him on uh, high dose HBOT therapy. And we just were never able to, he had a soft, soft shell, um, hyperbaric chamber. And he was just, we were just not able to get the concentration high enough, uh, at that time. I think he just did not have an effective hyperbaric oxygen, th uh, chamber. Uh, and that's a big, big deal. I think people don't realize that if you're using the right chamber, it makes all the difference in the world and getting the right concentrations. One one of the things I came across, and uh, you know, the, the the internet's an interesting tool. Today, you can find stuff that goes way back, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then people can take it down. But then they have what they call the wayback engine, right? Where you could actually see what they took down, right? Right. So, so uh, I came across an article that was put out by the American Heart Association, and it was in it was in the mid '90s, early '90s. I, mm -hmm. think. I want to say '93, but I'm not sure of the date. And they endorsed hyperbaric oxygen because it healed damage from heart attacks in one third of the time. Wow. That makes sense. And so. it disappeared. Wow. So, okay. That's, that's impressive. And it makes sense to me. So maybe it was flawed research. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I will tell you, though, I have two friends that, um, that, that had um, heart function was down in below 50. It was in the 40s, their heart function. One mm -hmm. maybe was even in the, in the 30s, 20s high 20s and 30s. And, uh, and so they went and they did um, 20 hyperbaric treatments. And then and then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And their doctor said, you know, isolate, you know, you guys are, you know, you're high risk, right? Right. So, so they went through COVID, and isolation, and then things started freeing up. And they're at the beach, you know, where nobody wore masks. And you know, they, things freed up. And then, and then they went back to their cardiologist, and he mm -hmm. did a heart function test, and they're both in the mid 70s. Wow. And that was, that was nine months to a year later. Wow. That's impressive. So what was it doing? Right. So, right. So, you know, so you have compromised heart function. Oh, yeah. Do it. Like, I'm sorry. If you, anyone's listening to this, know someone with low heart function, right. get them in a hyperbaric chamber, mild, two atmospheres, whatever they can get them. Like, right. you know, do it because it's going to help heal their heart. Right. Yeah. And. You know, speaking about conditions with COVID, for example, I know it's it, it's difficult to speak about it sometimes because uh, every time you bring up a new idea to try to treat COVID or try to help with patients who have COVID, even this 
condition they call long COVID. Um, using something like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, it only makes sense. So I'm, I'm talking about theory here, okay? Uh, in theory, it makes 100% sense. If you've got uh, part of the problem with COVID is the virus gets into the lungs, right? And it's the inflammation. It's your body's immune response to that virus that is killing people, right? And so then they give you uh, an, an immunosuppressant and to decrease your immune function. I mean, that's the worst thing I think you can do is you're suppressing someone's immune system. Now you're setting up, you've basically taken down all of their guards. Now you're setting up for sepsis. And most people who unfortunately died of COVID, you know, died from sepsis, not necessarily the COVID. So if you're using something like hyper, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you increase the concentration of oxygen in their body. Therefore, the lungs don't have to work as hard, right? So the lungs can kind of rest and relax a little bit while they're fighting off this infection. And you're not suppressing the immune system. You're actually decreasing the inflammation in the lungs. And so you're providing the body with the oxygen that it needs to support all the other organs. You're decreasing inflammation in your lungs. You're allowing the lungs to rest. You're allowing the immune system then to fight that virus. Mm. So it only makes sense in theory that it would work. Well, you know, you back, know? back when, when the pandemic started, um, the, the hospital in Wuhan, mm-hmm had a hyperbaric unit and the, the, the doctors and nurses that worked there that got COVID got in the chambers. They all survived wow. and they went home when the, I guess the virus was maybe at, at, at its worst, its right. strongest, right. you know, point mm-hmm. when it was first released or whatever it started there, at least, right. you know, wherever it started and not to get into that political, you know, right. Um, uh, debacle, but 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 Dr. Harch talked about this and that he was communicating with them, mm-hmm. and so he went down that path to, to fight for that in in our country, and and even like today, you know, two two plus years later, um, he's treating and other clinics are as well treating the long COVID, having great results, and the brain right. fog especially, yeah, five treatments and the brain fog is gone, right. Um, and uh, and also, um, you know, to add insult to injury, mm-hmm. the vaccine injuries, you know, which we hear more about today, right. and you know, some of this is coming out. I think right. it's front and center. Mm-hmm. And so, so really helping with the vaccine injuries, which is um, it's increasing the body's um, ability to fight. You know, right. it, it enhances your immune system. Exactly, and that's, I mean, a natural immunity is, in my opinion, the best way to develop your immune system. Uh, allowing your body to be exposed, not to a vaccine, because you don't, you don't know exactly what's in that vaccine. Your body's reacting not just to the virus particles that are in that vaccine, but all the other ingredients in that vaccine too, which can then get into the immune system's memory. So anytime you take that, like for example, if there's particles of egg in there, uh, like the egg yolk or the uh, egg white, which sometimes are, are used to make vaccines, uh, your body's now reacting to those particles of vaccine, but also everything else in that vaccine, which can be that egg white. Mm-hmm. And now you've developed an egg allergy that you've never had before, or you start developing weird allergies you've never had, or immune system uh, disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis or, or lupus or something like psoriasis. And we're seeing that those cases are on the rise. Mm-hmm. Is there an association between vaccines and that? 
I can't say for certain, but it it certainly makes sense that there would be. Mm-hmm. Well, you you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You know, is is one of these advocates really um, against vaccines for. Um, especially, you look at you know the the rise of autism, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, you know it's it, there's clearly something going on there, right? You know, with what you just said too, and and so what is it affecting? You know, right? And and uh, my wife and I had an experience with our daughter too, um, that you know we believe that she had a real adverse reaction to to the um, to, to a vaccine, and so. Um, I don't know. Do you see patients with that? Is there is that something that you focus on? Do you see any autism in your practice? I do. What's interesting that you bring it up is we were actually doing um, stem cell therapy for autism using what they call Wharton's jelly. Wharton's jelly is the made from the umbilical cord. Uh, it's part of the umbilical cord, and they used to throw the umbilical cord away after a baby was born. Uh, and somebody decided to study and found that the umbilical cord was full of young stem cells and regenerative property, regenerative tissue that could be used if taken from the umbilical cord and injected, for example, into a knee, it can help regenerate tissue in the knee. And those stem cells were so young, they didn't have any surface markers on them to distinguish one person from another person. So you could take it from one person, inject it into another person and not have a cross-reaction. It's one of the few substances that the FDA allows to be used in that manner. the interesting thing was we were we were taking that same substance in the Wharton's jelly, injecting it into kids with autism and having improvement, significant improvement uh, in their functioning, in their brain functioning, in their ability to think. Uh, unfortunately, about three years ago, I think two or three years ago, the FDA came out with a mandate stating that uh, we should not be using it for what they call upper motor neuron disorders, which are brain and spinal cord injuries. Uh, we were actually having success using that with uh, Parkinson's disease. We had a patient that we used it on who had ALS, who you know was towards the end of his uh, disease state. You know, maybe had three months to live, and we I think he got out to two years. He lived another two years after we started injecting him. What was the basis for them saying you couldn't do that? We we still don't know. Oh. We have they never exactly said why other than um it hasn't been proven you know but so let's prove it yeah exactly i mean you know here's the thing is that isn't there today a choice yes patient can say i want it yes yeah so so. yeah and and if it's a if it's something that's not doing harm to a patient which it didn't there was no harm done to any patient there was no cross reactions or or any adverse reactions that i have seen to date uh with any of these patients uh, so there was no harm. And the only thing that there was was either what's going to happen is either nothing's going to happen or they're going to have a benefit. Yeah. I mean, if I have three months to live, the ALS is a, is a debilitating, horrible yep. disease. Yeah. What a way to end. Right? <laughs> and you, you can be fairly young. Right. You know, with that, um, I certainly would, would want that choice and not the FDA making that choice for me. Right. And, and it was... It, it hit me home. It hit home for me when I was seeing a patient back in, in Nashville. She was 92 years old and in a wheelchair. She had severe osteoarthritic changes of the hip. And because of her age, nobody was willing to do surgery on her. And so she came to see me for stem cell injections. And I didn't want to do it, honestly, because I felt like I, I told us, I don't want to just take your money because I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work or not. You're, you have such severe degeneration. And she said, look, I'm 92 years old. I've been in this wheelchair for two years. 
all I'd like to do is walk before I die one more time. Why wouldn't you? And I have the funds to do this. Why wouldn't you take a chance and try it? Did and you? I did. did I walk? did. And she did. She walked. She. I was shocked. She. I injected her first with something called PRP, uh, platelet-rich plasma, to try to e expand the space. Brought her back in two weeks and did the uh, Wharton's jelly stem cell injection. And four weeks after that, she was in my office and she was walking and she was so happy. It was, it was amazing. That's when I realized, you know what? I got to give every patient a chance. If they come to me and say, hey, will you please try this? As long as I know I'm not doing any harm to that patient, then I definitely will. So it, it was, it was an eye-opener for me. <laughs> and that's where, you know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy as well, in my opinion, if you do it the right way, you're not going to do harm to these patients. And, and the, there is no real risk other than there's a benefit that the patient will get potentially from doing this therapy. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's really awesome. One of the things that I've heard um, from surgeons is that we can stop the leg pain, but we can never stop the back pain. Okay? Right. Surgery mm -hmm. can help that. And what, what is your experience in that, in that area? Yes, I, I've seen that as well with surgeries. For example, uh, a patient will come in with back pain shooting down the leg. They call it sciatica. And they'll have surgery. And a lot of times the sciatica goes away for a year or two, um, but that back pain never goes away. They're kind of stuck with what they call axial back pain, which is pain just localized to the back. Uh, and sometimes after a few years, that pain starts to come back. Because what happens in surgery, a lot of times you have something called degenerative disc disease, where there's a cushion between the vertebrae in your spine, known as the disc. Uh, and that disc is supposed to be filled with about 60% water. And as you get older, sometimes you lose the capacity to hold water in that, and it causes the disc to start to bulge. Uh, and we don't really have a cure for that. We don't know how to treat that. Uh, by traditional medicine, I should say. Uh, what we started doing in one of my clinics recently is doing intradiscal injections with something called BMAC, or bone marrow aspirate concentrate, which is basically your bone marrow. We aspirate the bone marrow, uh, we take it to our lab, spin that bone marrow down, and extract the stem cells out of the bone marrow. Your bone marrow is full of stem cells, and everybody has bone marrow. Uh, as a person gets older, you know, you develop, you make less bone marrow in your other long bones, but your pelvic area always makes uh, bone marrow. You can't survive without bone marrow. So we aspirate the bone marrow from the pelvic area, spin it down, extract the stem cells, and then we inject it intradiscally into the disc and into the surrounding area, the musculature, and we're able to have improvement in a patient's pain, improvement in their ability to function, and decrease pain kind of shooting into the legs without, that, uh, without the complication that surgery can cause, which is long-term axial back pain. Mm -hmm. A lot of yeah. times you hear someone has got plates and screws, and mm -hmm. you know, they've removed or fused. You right. Know, and, and so that avoids all of that, I guess. Right, yeah. And, and I'm not against surgery. At all, I mean, there is a definite need for surgery in certain cases, but uh, we have probably overdone surgery, and, and not because um, we're, we're these doctors were trying to make money or are just trying to do surgery to do it, but because there was no other option before, yeah. you know. And well, now, well, someone that goes to a surgeon to ask mm -hmm. them an opinion, right? I, I would say predominantly they're going the, the option is going to be surgery because that's their education, that's what they do, right? Right. Know, so they're gonna. Naturally, they're going to focus on that. It's, I don't think there's 
there's ill intent there. Correct. I would hope not. Well, this concludes um, our third time um, with the opportunity to be here with Dr. Mehta. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this segment. And uh, Dr. Mehta, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you, you know, back here for the third time. And, and, uh, and so we're going to definitely continue the conversation as time goes on. I hope, uh, hope you can come back again. Oh, yes. I'm very excited about this. Thank you. Wonderful.